Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Tonight on The Readout. So at the end of the day, nothing happened. What I did was consistent with my job as being United States Senator, Chairman of the Judiciary Committee. We're opening up Pandora's box. I think the system in this country is getting off the rails. And we have to be careful not to use the legal system as a political tool. Nothing to see here, nothing to see here. We get our first look at the Fulton County Special Grand Jury Report. They believe that far more than the 19 alleged co-conspirators in the Georgia election interference chase should have been criminally charged, including Senator Lindsey Graham. Also tonight, it's called Project 2025, and it's a revealing and horrifying look of what the right has in store for America should Donald Trump somehow get his way back into the White House. Good evening. I'm Jason Johnson in for Joy Reid, and we begin with breaking news, real breaking news. Just about an hour ago, a federal judge denied Mark Meadows' bid to move his criminal charges in Fulton County to federal court ruling that his alleged involvement in efforts to pressure state leaders who overturned the 2020 election results was not a part of his official duties as a government official. It is a major setback for Donald Trump's former White House chief of staff, who sought his request on the grounds that he was a federal officer at the time of the actions that led to his indictment. It also indicates Trump himself will have a really hard time moving his case to federal court, something his lawyers told a judge this week he would still try to do. We'll have much more on this in a minute. Also today, the door flew way open on the special grand jury's deliberations for this case and the much longer list of people that were recommended for charges. Released today was the full report that led to the criminal indictment of former President Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, and 17 others for trying to overturn his 2020 Georgia election loss. It showed that grand jurors have recommended charges for 21 additional people, savage, on top of the 19 who were actually indicted. Those 21 individuals were not ultimately charged. Special grand juries in Georgia cannot issue indictments and instead serve as an investigative tool. The findings for this particular case are the culmination of months of investigation, including testimony from 75 witnesses. It's a lengthy list, and it includes some big names, such as sitting Senator Lindsey Graham, a man who charged a man who chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee, as well as former U.S. Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue of Georgia, who were sitting senators during the alleged crime. Senator Graham scoffed at the idea that he should have been charged in a case, saying that for the next election, he'd do the same thing. If it ever becomes impossible or politically dangerous or legally dangerous for a United States senator to call up people to find out how the election was run, God help us all. The next election, if I have questions, I'll do the same thing. And hopefully next time he'll get indicted. Flynn also responded, releasing a statement that described the report as more corruption by a politically motivated prosecutor, a baseless witch hunt that isn't based on the facts or the law or reality. 
We also learned that one of Trump's Georgia co-defendants was not mentioned in the special grand jury report. That is Mike Roman, who allegedly helped to orchestrate the fake electors component of the alleged election conspiracy. Joining me now, very excited, Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney, law professor at the University of Alabama and co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast, and Charles Coleman, civil litigator, former Brooklyn prosecutor, host of the Charles Coleman podcast, and the best-dressed lawyer that I know today. Greetings to both of you. Very excited. Joyce, I'm going to start with you. Um, So I've been doing my homework. I have a big old document here. I, I have notes and everything else like that. It looks to me like this is a lot of pages to say, Mark Meadows, you got to stay where you got to stay. What's some of the logic behind this? I mean, it's huge that they're not going to be able to sort of change the venue. But what is the logic behind this judge saying you can't move to a federal statute? You can't move to a a sort of federal prosecution? Well, Jason, it looks the same way to me that it looks to you. I'm reading the same big document as we talk tonight. And this is a great opinion by the judge in the sense that he tells you in the first paragraph of this, I think it's 42-page document, how he's going to rule. And the ruling is that the case remains in state court. And and here's the reason. Mark Meadows is a public officer. That means he qualifies to ask for removal. But the judge evaluates the conduct that he is charged with and concludes that it was not part of Meadows' official duties. In other words, not a real shocker here, right? Trying to help your boss steal an election is not part of the chief of staff's official duties in serving the presidency. Sounds like the work of the campaign at best, um, a criminal conspiracy at worst. And the judge says it will stay with the courts in Georgia for a decision. Charles, so I'm reading through this. This is what fascinated me, because the argument that trying to overturn election is part of your job would sort of be like the Manchurian candidate is on trial and say, yeah, hey, look, I was trying to overthrow the government for a foreign government, but I was technically president or candidate at the time. Um, Here's the thing about that. Why does this end up being significant for Trump? I mean, Trump might say, hey, I've got a stronger argument because I was actually president. I was simply investigating what I thought was fraud. Why does this ruling about Meadows probably make Trump's chances even less likely? Well, Jason, what it does is it squarely puts the question of whether any of this can be characterized as under the official duties of your office to bed. We all knew, as Joyce alluded to, that this was a long shot. Mark Meadows' attorneys knew that this was a long shot. But now that this ruling has come out, it leaves even less room for Donald Trump's attorneys to try and argue that somehow this was in the capacity of his responsibilities as the executive of the United States of America. We all knew that not to be true, but the way in which this decision lays that out, makes it super plain, super clear, and really closes the door. If anyone would have had that argument, and I'm not saying that he did because it's very clear, I will repeat, that he did not, it would have been Meadows and not Trump. And the fact that the judge made very quick work of that, as Joyce pointed out, early in the decision makes it abundantly clear that this argument is going nowhere fast. And so Donald Trump should not expect to make any traction with it at all. So, Charles, I want to follow up on this because this is something I I think a lot of people who aren't lawyers don't understand. If this had gone through, if Mark Meadows, you know, was tried federally instead of in Fulton County, would that mean that the prosecutors were different? Would it still be Fonnie Willis's people? Like, explain what would have actually been different if the judge had ruled in another way. 
I'm so glad you asked that question, Jason, because a lot of people have been getting this wrong and not understanding that it still would have been under Georgia law. It still would have been Fulton County who would have been prosecuting this case. The biggest difference, which Mark Meadows was more likely than not hoping for, would be an expanded jury pool. So in Fulton County, as we know, you have a predominantly Democratic jury pool, mainly black. You're not looking at a favorable outcome for Mark Meadows if you are his defense team. And so what you want to do is remember you need a unanimous conviction for this criminal case. You're hoping that by putting this in federal court, you're going to expand the jury pool, perhaps get someone larger or someone as part of this larger jury pool who's going to be sympathetic to what it is you're trying to do and potentially be a holdout. And maybe you get a mistrial. Maybe something else happens because you don't have very much to go on in terms of legal strategy. That was the biggest difference between moving this. I mean, there are some procedural things that are going to differ in federal court versus state court, undoubtedly. But in terms of the substantive difference, that was the biggest difference that Mark Meadows was likely hoping to have happen for him by trying to move this case. But it wasn't going to work out from the beginning. And now that we're here, we all know that to be true. Hey, Joyce, I want to turn a little bit to all of these additional names that we found out that, you know, apparently prosecutors were sort of interested in. They ended up not getting indicted. What's the significance of that? How does that end up happening? How do you have someone who's like, oh, my gosh, you're terrible enough that I want to put you on the list, but you're not terrible enough that I actually want to indict you. But we're still going to release the fact that you were part of this investigation. How does that happen? And, and how can someone be someone that the grand jury wanted to indict but just didn't have time to, didn't have space? Explain that to us. So this is such a great question, Jason, and it goes back to the conversation that you and I had back when the Georgia Special Investigative Grand Jury was doing its work. Georgia has this unusual process. There's one grand jury that investigates, and it's very unlike the typical process where prosecutors like Charles and myself might prepare an indictment, take it to a grand jury, and ask them to indict. And while that grand jury needs to only have probable cause to issue the indictment, Charles and I know we have to try that case in a courtroom. We've got to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So we don't ask the grand jury to indict until we have that level of proof. This grand jury, the special investigative grand jury in Georgia, served a very different function. They were only trying to decide whether there was reason to proceed, a much lower standard, right? Probable cause, not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So they did have this much longer list of people who met that lower standard in their view. And of course, that became Fonnie Willis's task. And perhaps why there were months between receipt of this report and the final indictment so that they could determine who do we have sufficient evidence to get a conviction on when we go to trial, a much different task than the one that the special grand jury faced. Charles, I want to just talk a little bit about the politics of this. You have two former and one sitting senator who they're basically saying, yeah, I think these people might have been a problem anyway. I have long argued, I have long been concerned that the conspiracy to overthrow the government, that January 6th might have been the violent act, but you had to have members, sitting members of the House and the Senate who are helping to participate in this process. Would the fact that that these other senators were even being looked at, might that be something that Jack Smith would take a look at? Might that be something that other prosecutors would pay attention to or other investigators? Because I think the fact that any of these people's names were mentioned in any kind of document talking about overthrowing the federal government, it's worthy of further investigation. 
Well, Jason, I do think that it's more likely than not that Jack Smith and his office in reviewing the results from the January 6th commission, as well as their own independent investigation, have probably gone down that rabbit hole already. And it's not to say that there may not be things coming. It's just to say that with respect to this right now, I do believe that his office is obviously aware of it and has already likely looked into it. But there's another element to the politics that I want to talk about very quickly, and that's Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County DA's office. You have to understand that for her to have this recommendation from the grand jury with respect to their investigative report, as Joyce already said, she knew that this was something that she would help be held to a higher standard in terms of what her level of proof was. So it wasn't just nonpartisan. It was apolitical for her to make that decision. And she's doing what a prosecutor is supposed to do instead of basically saying, I want to go after everybody who's a conservative or I want to go after the Republican. She looked at the facts. She understood what the requisite burden of proof was, and she felt like she could not make that out, which is why she ultimately did what prosecutors do, which is made the decision that she did. So she has to get her level of flowers when it comes to this for doing her job, because a lot of people have been criticizing her. Of course, it's a right wing talking point. We all know this about the fact that this is just basically an extension of Biden's DOJ and something that's out to get conservatives and and, and Republicans. But what we see now with respect to Lindsey Graham and other people who were not necessarily charged in the indictment, but were recommended by the, uh, the the grand jury is that she took a methodical, a logical and a proper approach applying applying the facts to the law and making her decision. Joyce, I want us to switch a little bit to the other side of the country. Let's talk a little bit about the state of Colorado. We've got right now is an interesting case going on here with the 14th Amendment, where basically you've got Citizens for Responsibility have filed a lawsuit on behalf of six Colorado voters seeking to keep Trump off the state's ballots under the 14th Amendment, which says anyone who engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution after taking an oath to defend it is ineligible to hold office. Look, I think, you know, it seemed like there was something similar that was tried once around Marjorie Taylor Greene. This seems to make sense to me. I mean, if you have a former president of the United States who tried to violently overthrow the government, the first thing you would think they would do is say, hey, you probably shouldn't be able to run for office again or serve in office again. What's sort of the legal basis of this case? We know it probably doesn't have much of a chance, but it is something that we might see occurring in other states, even though Trump is saying, hey, I'm going to fight this and this is political interference. Sure. You know, we may well see more lawsuits like this. And there are some technical legal issues like who has standing to bring a case, these sort of preliminary gatekeeping issues that courts consider. This case is possibly vulnerable on those grounds. But the real issue here is the threshold for 14th Amendment consideration. What does it take to show that a former president engaged in insurrection? Congress has never passed any sorts of laws that would in- enable that decision-making. We saw a candidate for state offices in, in New Mexico who was disqualified. That state did have some enabling laws that they believe made it possible for them to take that action. You know, right. the real problem here is that the two prosecutors that have looked at this, neither one has indicted Trump for insurrection. That means that there's an argument here to be made that, that no one believes that is a matter of law. Whether he's convicted in the court of public opinion for insurrection, of course, an entirely different matter. Joyce, I have to point this out because 
It was you. Your name was invoked, so we have to talk about this. It appears that the twice impeached, extremely problematic and multiple times indicted president actually said your name on Truth Social. He came out and said groups like Norrin Eisen through Brookings and Just Security, Andrew Weissman, Joyce Vance, they are perhaps illegally working with Weissman acolyte Lisa Monaco at Injustice. I have been beating them for years. How does it feel? to join the ranks of, I don't know, Ellie Mistel, Hillary Clinton, to be the kind of person that these insurrectionists, these violent, racist, problematic insurrectionists now see to be a threat. How's it feel? You feel honored? You feel offended? How do you feel? You know, what the country really deserves from Donald Trump is what it will never get, a moment of introspection where he looks inside and instead of calling off a bunch of random names on social media, instead takes responsibility for what he did. But I fear we will never get that. Yeah, we're not going to see a lot of apologies here. Charles, we're we're closing in. I just want to ask you this very quickly. As we move forward with Mark Meadows being done, Donald Trump about to try the same thing. Do you think there's anyone else perhaps lower on the poll? Anybody else who is part of these indictments who might try this trick again and say, look, I'm different than Mark Meadows. I'm different than Trump. Or do you really think that after this ruling and after Trump likely getting a no, that this will be a done deal and no one else in Georgia is going to try to move their case to federal? Well, Jason, I do think that we may see this maneuver again. I think it's a tactic that when you have very little to go on, you're going to try everything that you have. I don't think that it will take as much time to decide because, as we saw with Mark Meadows, we're going to see quick work made of these sorts of arguments. There's no reason to really consider it, but that doesn't stop defense attorneys from doing everything that they can to try and advocate for their clients. So whether they do or do not is not the issue. The real issue is this is going nowhere and it's going nowhere fast. And got to get those billable hours. Joyce Vance and Charles Coleman, thank you so much for starting us up tonight on The Readout. Up next, if we've learned anything over the past few years, it's that elections have consequences. And if Trump wins in 2024, there's already a terrifying government in waiting, planning to fire thousands of federal workers and lower the boundary between church and state. The Readout continues right after this. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. Kings Island is now open weekends. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. 
Crackpots, insurrectionists, and weekend terrorists are laying the groundwork to turn our government into a Trumpist nightmare if the former president somehow manages to get back into the White House in 2024. The AP reports on the plan laid out by a Project 2025, a government in waiting for Trump's return. Quote, the idea is to have the civic infrastructure in place on day one to commandeer, reshape, and do away with what Republicans deride as the deep state, firing as many as 50,000 federal workers. The goal is to oust employees they believe are standing in the way of the president's agenda and replacing them with like-minded individuals. That should sound familiar since it's directly linked to Donald Trump's authoritarian plans overall. The New York Times reported in July that Trump and his associates have a broader goal to alter the balance of power by increasing the president's authority over every part of the federal government that now operates by either law or tradition with any measure of independence from political interference by the White House. Numerous former Trump officials are involved with Project 2025. And look, it's not some shadowy behind the scenes effort. It's been open about its plans to gut worker protections and dismantle environmental protections. It includes their plans to make pushing right-wing Christianity the federal government's job. It's all in there, in the nearly 1,000-page playbook calling on the next president to maintain a, quote, biblically-based, science, social science-reinforced definition of marriage and family. As Guthrie Grace Fitzsimmons writes for MSNBC, concerned about policies of this kind aren't only about the possible return of Donald Trump to office. This is about the next Republican president, whoever it may be is going to be pushing Christian nationalism. Joining me now is David Korn, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones, MSNBC political analyst and author of American Psychosis, which comes out on paperback next week. David, I always say that the most dangerous people when it comes to protecting our government, it ain't the guys in shaman costumes, right? It's not the weekend warriors with Punisher signs on their, on their flak jackets that they got at REI. Okay, it's men and women in suits who write policy, who slowly but surely undermine our government. Put this Project 2025 in the frame. How dangerous is this? Well, let me uh, expand from that a little bit, because a lot of people watch, a lot of people concerned about authoritarianism in, in America focus on Donald Trump. Right. And I think rightfully so. He incited violence. He says we should spend the con- suspend the Constitution. And as we just saw, he has his own campaign plan to impose an autocratic you know, government should he cut back into the White House. But what we see with Project 2025 is a project funded at $22 million right. that has dozens of right-wing, far-right groups that have been in town and that are considered established right-wing organizations, like the Heritage Foundation. They've been doing something like this since 1980. Their first mandate for leadership was for the Reagan folks when they were coming in. And so now they have joined forces with Trump to sort of say, this is how you can do it. We know that Trump isn't capable himself. He doesn't have the discipline, the understanding of how government works. So here we have, you know, dozens of groups, hundreds of people, millions of dollars to put together a schematic plan for Trump to come in. And at the heart of it is getting rid of 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 or more federal workers. These are the people who, like, if the president comes in and says, I want to drill on the mall, they say, they're a career civil servant. They go, that's not what the law says, Mr. President. This is why you can't do this. The sign says that. Well, now under this plan, Trump could say, you're out of here. Right. 
you know, you know, there's a loyalty oath. There's an oath to my my policies. If you don't do what I want you to say, and so the whole idea of an independent, expertise-driven civil service government workforce would be gone. Would be gone. I want to play you some sound because uh, this is really important. This is Paul Dance. He's director of the 2025 Presidential Transition Project on firing federal employees. Because I think this is key. Yeah. Ultimately, what we what we want to do is make sure that the federal bureaucracy is is being directed through the by the people through the president and his team here's the thing we already have the republican organization i keep saying they are not a party they are a terrorist front they're they're basically a cover for the maga terrorist movement and remember they didn't even have a platform in 2020 they just wanted a loyalty pledge essentially what this guy is saying is we're going to put nice words about it but we want every federal employee to have a loyalty pledge not to the government I mean, you know, not to the government in general, not to American citizens, but only to Donald Trump. How dangerous is that and how close would that take us to just absolute authoritarianism? Well, I think it's highly dangerous because there are a lot of issues out there, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, um, public health. Right. You know, even foreign policy, you know, where there are things that are not up to now have not been considered partisan. There are policies. There are ways to do things. If you want to build an airport, there are regulations, the EPA has people specialized. Now Donald Trump could come in and say, well, you know what? I want that airport near my country club. And I don't care what EPA regulations violates. If you say it's wrong, you're fired. And so the chilling effect this is going to have, and anybody you know out there who might watch MSNBC at home, they come in and they, well, you know, you're watching MSNBC, you're out of here. Right. And so it, it really gives them this total control. And it's part of this whole move on the right to come up with a unitary executive. For decades, they've been pushing this, saying that we don't have balance of power and checks and balances, that the president gets to run the show. It's not what the Constitution says. Nope. I don't think that's what the founders envisioned, but it is an authoritarian, autocratic government. And when you put that in the hands, particularly of someone like Donald Trump, Trump, a, a narcissist who wants all this power, it is a recipe for tremendous danger and for the consolidation of power that undermines democracy. And also, the idea of saying that this is about civil service, to me, the concern that I have is it puts this patina on legitimacy. These people are terrorists, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're saying, well, I'm going to create the foot soldiers for people who are essentially operating under mm-hmm. terrorism. We've seen abundantly clear in the past and present that Trump and the people who still work with him, mm-hmm. if they're not in jail by then, have no issue with using violence. So what does well, that he, also well, say? Well, that they want to cover for violent acts? Great example. Donald Trump has said that if he comes into office, he will pardon the January 6th insurrectionists. But let's take another step further. Let's say that he comes back in and there's something like that again. Right. He can order, under these new plans, he could order the Justice Department to not prosecute people who attack his political enemies. He could encourage it. Could part of this is taking control of the whole federal criminal justice system. So that's what they want to do. It's in the book. The people have been talking about this outside of this project. So he would be able to create his own shock troops and then give them impunity to do whatever he wants to in order to retain power. You know, it'd be, it, it really causes the mind to reel if you think about what future elections and politics will look like if one person is given that much it's power. given that much power. Yeah, one man can't have all that power, and it would turn stand back and stand by from just a catchphrase to actual policy. Thank you so much, David Korn, for joining us this evening on The Readout. Up next... Despite Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign being in complete disarray, he still manages to make all the wrong choices. His most recent one, appointing the Moms for Liberty co-founder to Florida's Ethics Commission. Stay with us. This is Jason Johnson on The Readout.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance. While kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. With his poll number shrinking and several big donors jumping ship, it's no secret that Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign is struggling to stay afloat. But what is the Florida governor doing to combat this slump, you say? Well, it looks like he's just leaning even further into his extremist culture war nonsense. Just this week alone, he appointed the co-founder of the book-banning group Moms for Liberty to the Florida Commission on Ethics and floated the idea of pardoning members of the Proud Boys who were sentenced to years in prison for their role in the January 6th insurrection. Ah, yes, real issues that people care about. Meanwhile, DeSantis' 15-week abortion ban is currently at the center of a Florida Supreme Court case that will determine the future of abortion access in the state. And if the conservative-leaning court upholds that law, an even stricter six-week ban, also signed by DeSantis, would automatically take effect. Joining me now is Dr. Christina Greer, Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University, Moynihan Public Scholars Fellow at CCNY, and host of The Blackest Questions podcast, and Dean Obadiah, MSNBC columnist and host of The Dean Obadiah Show on Sirius XM. Thank you all so much. We have a lot to talk about. I will start with you, Dr. Greer. And I don't mean this facetiously. I mean this respectfully. How soon before we just see Ron DeSantis quit? Because it seems like he only exists now as sort of a political punching bag. Nobody wants to give money to his campaign. He's cratered in the polls. He's he's barely going to make it to Iowa. Do you think he's still going to make it to Iowa? I think he will make it to Iowa because he doesn't want to quit. And I think that there's still a, quite a few Republicans who don't really feel like they have a, a lot of options. You know, the the base of the primary voter in the Republican Party Definitely is still with Donald Trump. But if you're a real donor, you're slowly pulling your way away from Ron DeSantis. But you don't want to bet on a horse that has 91 criminal indictments in front of him and charges across, you know, four different states. So they want someone. Nikki Haley, we know that, you know, there are a lot of people in this country who will never vote for a woman. There are a lot of people in this country who will never vote for a person of color, especially in the Republican Party. And a lot of people uh, in this country who will never vote for a woman of color. So Nikki Haley's out. Tim Scott's out. I mean, there are a lot of people where they're they want to like them, but Ron DeSantis right. is essentially, he was supposed to be their guy, and he has deflated uh, just in spectacular fashion in every single um, interaction he's had with the American public outside of Florida. Dean, uh, we're running through a bunch of these policies. This, this entertains sure. me immensely. So it looks like the Republicans want to rebrand their pro-life stance because it's been mm -hmm. hurting them at the polls. Senator Kevin Kramer 
North Dakota says, what intrigued me most about the results was that pro-choice and pro-life mean something different now that people see being pro-life as being against all abortions at all levels. Look, I saw the, the image of a bunch of 60-year-old white male Republicans trying to put together this new formula. I'm like, everybody's so creative. No, you're not going to be able to remix this menu, right, in this recipe to make it tolerable. What do you think of this Republican attempt to try to dress up a brand and a policy that most Americans just don't like? Jason, you don't get that. If you change the bumper sticker, women won't realize that they've lost a fundamental right to control their own body. Like, oh, my God, it's called pro baby now. So I still am forced to carry this pregnancy to term because of your religious beliefs. Yes. But we have a new nickname for it. You can always go to Mexico. Maybe they should do that. You can always go to Mexico because the Mexico Supreme Court this week said now you can't ban abortion anymore. Look, the Republicans in 14 states ban abortion at conception. This is a human rights violation. I don't care what term you use. They are forcing women to carry a fetus of term because of their religious views, the same way they accuse Muslims. Like, we wanted to abolish Sharia law. No, we never wanted to. You guys always want to. They're doing it now. It's a human rights violation. So no little cute bumper sticker or nickname. No little, you know, TikTok video is going to change what you're putting women through, which is barbaric to me. Right. You can call it climate change. You can call it global warming. The fact of the matter is it was 90 to 1 degrees yesterday in September. Um, Dr. Greer, this is something that's really key. I have paid a lot of attention to Hot Strike Summer. You and I both uh, have friends and colleagues who work in the television industry and in Hollywood and everything else like that. I want to play you some sound from a very prominent television commentary person uh, about these current strikes and get your thoughts on the other side. They're asking are, for a lot of things like kooky, like what what I find objectionable uh, about the philosophy of the strike. It seems to be they have really morphed a long way from 2007 strike where they kind of believe that you're owed a, a, a living as a writer and you're not. This this is show business. This is a make or miss league. If get off my lawn was a person, Dr. Greer, I just give you the floor how bad is what we just heard? Okay, so really quickly, Jason, I just want to circle back just really quickly. There is no such thing as pro-life. I don't want to use Republican talking points. It's pro-choice or anti-choice. And what Republicans are doing are trying to take choice away from women and girls. And so I don't want to use their language because we know that Republicans are not pro-life, right? They believe in the death penalty. They'll starve women, children, and families. So let's just be clear. They are using anti-choice policy. So that's over there. Bill Maher. I do not understand why this network and others continue to give this man airtime. He has shown time and time again that he does not care about working people. He does not care about communities of color. We can look at the record. Uh, he has been consistent um, just because he moved from being a hardcore right wing person and lost his you know, endorsements and then sort of moved over to being more progressive in quotes. And now he's some sort of weird libertarian. We know that the WGA strike and the SAG strike it is about living wages. This is a fundamental human rights conversation that we're trying to have where we have executives, eight of them making, you know, close to billions of dollars. And we have other people who can't afford health insurance, can't afford food. So yes, this is capitalism. We are well aware of U.S. chattel slavery and how capitalism has worked in this country for over 400 years. But we are having a conversation now about people who need to get paid for their work. They need to get paid for their worth and their creativity. So all these networks that make money off of the back of hardworking people that work 13 to 20 hours a day. You can't tell me that some executive is working so hard he needs a $65 million parachute every time he goes into the office for each year. So I, I just, 
Bill Maher is beyond frustrating because he has been the same Bill Maher for the past 25 years, uh, and somehow we expect him to change. And he has shown time and time again that he is not uh, ever on the right side of history. I don't see why it's kooky for workers to want to know how much their shows are actually watched so they can determine a fair wage from a streamer or anybody else for that matter. Uh, Dean, I want to ask you this. We're going to move to foreign policy very quickly. Uh, There's a Bond villain masquerading as the man who owns Twitter, now X, uh, named Elon Musk, who new reports have shown that he actively and directly thwarted an attempt uh, by a sneak attack by the Ukrainians against the Russians. Um, Look, it's not only problematic that we have a military industrial complex as big as it is, but the fact that you can have one individual with strong ideological leanings who's able to thwart thwart military operations for one side or another seems extremely dangerous. What are your thoughts on this? And, and should the federal government do something about this if we're going to be giving all this funding to the Ukraine? First of all, I'm not sure who's worse, Bill Maher or Elon Musk. In that competition between the two, they're both awful. What Elon Musk did here, though, I mean, Bill Maher is just being callous. A millionaire is saying writers who are my friends who are out of work right now and struggling to make ends meet should, you know, get over the, their kooky demands of getting fair pay. But Elon Musk, what he did, according to Ukrainian officials, by preventing this drone strike against the Russian military ships, it was a military target, not a civilian one, right. allowed those military ships to fire missiles at civilian targets and literally kill children. Now, that's what the Ukrainian official has said about what Elon Musk did. Elon Musk chose in that moment Russia over Ukraine, over our ally, over democracy. And I have so many issues with Elon Musk. And there is someone who has just increasingly gone to the right. And part of being MAGA now is being pro-Putin and protecting Putin. So to me, it's consistent with that. It's the, it's despicable. It's vile. Bill Maher vile in his own way. Elon Musk may have blood in his hands, according to Ukrainian officials, to be honest. As I said before, no one man or woman should have all that power. Dr. Christina Greer and Dean Obadiah will be back later for Who Won the Week. But first, Joy Reid has a special report for us on the Vegan Women's Summit in New York. She tried out the food, so you will get to see it next. There are a lot of compelling reasons to go vegan. It's better for the environment, avoids animal cruelty, it's actually tasty a lot of times. When you think about vegan food, you might think of tofu or some kind of sprouts, but it's way, way beyond that. It's even beyond meat now. With lab-grown meat that tastes like real cheeseburgers, plant-based cheese, and even vegan couture. Joy Reid recently visited the Vegan Women's Summit in New York. Take a look. All right, here I am in Brooklyn walking into the Vegan Women's Summit. Here we go. We're going to try some beef that was never a cow. We'll see how that goes. Let's go this way. I want to I want to take a look at some some items. Look at those boots. Those are cool. Right here. A biggie bag. We love a big bag. This is gorgeous. So vegan just means it's fake leather. So that's a brilliant question because we want to make sure we're educating consumers nowadays that vegan does not always mean the best material, right? Right. There's a lot of greenwashing going on lately where people are just labeling things They're as just saying vegan. It's vegan. No, it's vegan because right, it's right. not animalized. But for us, our mission is not only to be vegan, but the most sustainable possible. Now we're launching our first ever 
a leather alternative that is all natural, plant-based, and, and no, no plastic. This is where I break the rule, never eat on camera. I'm gonna do that now. Hi. This is the world's first plant-based honey made without bees. Plant-based honey with no bees? Yes, give it a Wait try. A okay, we're gonna try some vegan honey without bees. It tastes like honey. Does it pass the test? And I love honey. And not bad. have three chefs that are joining us from around the world. So we are here at your Vegan Women's Summit. Tell me why you created it. Why are we here? We are here because I believe, and a thousand other people here believe, that women are the key to unlocking the food system. We know that the food system is a huge part of how we are gonna address the climate crisis, and we have over a thousand people here today that are all on board with how we're gonna do that. What have we got here? We have organic and fair trade chocolate candy and everything on the table is vegan. I'm very pro-chocolate. So no milk? Absolutely no milk. We are a vegan company. Uh, our strategy is to kind of recreate all the dairy products that people love yep. with a plant-based Matrix. Tell me what food This got is here. our blue cheese. We've got it with a uh, apricot jam and a little slice of apple there. I love apricot. Yeah, okay. yeah. Alright, let's give that a shot. Perfect little bite. That is delicious. Explain to me what I am looking at here. These are Ohio Valley's Wagumi burgers. Okay. They're a cultivated Wagyu burger, which is a blend of plant-based meat and cultivated cells. Now what is cultivated cells? What does that mean? Cells are uh, collected from animals. We do a little muscle biopsy. It's it's not pain, it's not painful. Yeah. And then we uh, grow the cells with cell culture technology, uh, and that's how we cultivate them. We we grow uh, skeletal muscle cells and we grow fat cells. Those are the main cell types that flavor meat. Uh, and then once they're finished growing, we combine them into our products. So basically, you grow a steak and not a cow. Yes. The idea, I guess, is like cruelty-free. There's no, you know, bunch of animals behind a pen being slaughtered, to be blunt. And it's just a, a less cruel way to have real meat. Yes, and it's great for the environment. All right, here we go. God bless everyone, including the cows, especially the cows, most especially. And I love a cheeseburger, so this is, I'm a tough customer. I'm a very tough customer. Here we go. Definitely taste. Not the cheeseburger. Let me give one more bite. Doing it like I'm on a food show. It's giving me a consistency of cheeseburger. Flavor of cheeseburger. Without the cheese. It's good. Good. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So glad you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. It's good. Welcome to the future of food. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that segment as much as I did. Who Won the Week is next on The Readout. Stay with us. We made it to the end of another week. Means it's time to play... Who Won the Week? Back with me are Christina Greer and Dean Obadala. Christina Greer, we'll start with you. Who Won the Week? I'm going to say D.C. District Judge... Timothy Kelly, 
who sentenced Enrique Terrio to 22 years in prison for his role in the January 6th insurrections. And he made a very clear statement that um, these, these individuals who stormed the Capitol will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, uh, no matter what promises were made, and that white supremacists don't have to be white, apparently. Um, and 22 years is a long time, and I think it sends uh, a real message, and I hope it sets a precedent moving forward. Tario has 22 years to find out. Dean, who won the week, as far as you're concerned? Well, Christina, nice try. But the winner of the week was Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It's 154 years old, but everyone's talking about it. It's bigger than Taylor Swift. It's on cable news. People are learning about the Constitution. They're learning about what an insurrection is. And they're learning and they're being reminded Donald Trump led an insurrection. And he's continuing to offer aid and comfort the insurrectionists, including by raising money for the insurrectionists. So Section 3, 14th Amendment, winner. You're both wrong. The winner of the week is uh-huh. Vice President Kamala Harris, who is putting together this amazing thing. You got Common, Jeezy, MC Light. She is putting together an event celebrating hip hop's 50th anniversary Saturday. I will be there. Several other hosts and uh-huh. guests will be there tomorrow. It is an event that is being presented in collaboration with the Recording Academy's Black Music Collective and Live Nation. I think it's amazing when Vice President Harris does this kind of cultural work. It reminds people what a great job she's doing. Dr. Christina Greer and Dean Obadala, thank you so much. And that is tonight's readout. Be sure to check out my podcast, A Word with Jason Johnson. My guest this week is rapper producer Kwame, one of the big boys, only you, co-founder of Let's Be Onyx, an organization that promotes the art of collectible toys. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.